Pei. This is Lane Yerrick, one of the servant leaders here at Ethos. Thank you so much for tuning into our podcast. We hope that you can lean in and enjoy this week's message. Well, hey, what's up, everybody? Thanks so much for hanging out with us today. If you're a little bit newer to Ethos, my name is Jordan, and I'm the lead pastor here. And we just want to say thanks for, thanks for being with us, for taking some time out of your schedule to, to tune in and to listen. In fact, if you are newer, we would love to know. Simply text the word Ethos New to the number 94000. We're not going to stalk you or creep you in any sort of way, but we are going to donate $5 on your behalf to a local organization called She Has a Name. They're fighting human trafficking right here in our city. So by simply letting us know that you're with us today, you're making a difference in our city. So we want to say thank you for that. Also, uh, servant leaders. If you are a servant leader at Ethos, you have served in any capacity or you're a group leader, uh, anything of that nature, there's an email that you should be getting this evening with some really important and exciting details as it relates to regathering. And so we wanted to get that into your hands first before we made an announcement so we can kind of work out any details uh, as it relates to regathering and the rest of the church. Listen, we are going to be sharing that update with you in the next week. So just stay tuned. We're going to get you more information. I cannot wait to share with you about our regathering, our regathering details. Well, hey, for the next two weeks, we're going to jump into a new collection of talks. It's kind of a mini series, if you will, just two weeks long called God and the Pandemic. And the idea really comes from just some observations that I've made that really a lot of people have made. Just over the past 12 months, we're not going to speak specifically about COVID-19 per se, but more so just some of our approach to this pandemic as a whole. And so, so today I want to I want to share from, from God of the Pandemic Part 1, more specifically from a title uh, called Listening with a Broken Heart. So if you're taking notes and you want to write that down, Listening with a, with a Broken Heart. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these moments that we have to gather together and to really lean into your word, to your teaching. God, I'm asking that wherever people find themselves in these moments, that you would just show yourself faithful. Show, show people who you really are. God, I ask that you would make up the distance between what I prepared to say and what you want to speak to the hearts and the minds, everybody who's, who's tuning in and, and hanging out with us today. In Jesus' name, amen. And go Bucks. God bless the Buckeyes. We are a football school and a basketball school. Come on, somebody. Um, do you have kids? And even if you don't have kids, have you ever been around kids? Of course you have. Like that, all of us have been around kids at one point or another in our lives. And one of the things that you notice about kids pretty quick, pretty quickly, is that they're always in like this perpetual cycle of blaming. Have you noticed this? Like, like, hey, Jimmy, why did you punch Joey? Because Jimmy took my toy, right? Like, okay, probably still not a good reason to punch Joey. Like, there's always an excuse to blame somebody else, to blame their friend, their peer for something. That really is probably their own responsibility. But, but here's what I've noticed. We as adults, we do the same thing. Like just a couple weeks ago, I was, uh, this, is, this is like a really bad pastoral moment, okay? Like I'm not proud of what I'm about to share. So forgive me and thank you, um, you know, maybe just proactively for allowing me to continue to be your pastor. But I, I, was, I was in the right lane and in about a quarter mile, the right lane was going to end. And we were, at a, we were at a stoplight, right? And I was going to go ahead and just pass the car that was in the left lane. Now, there were no other cars behind us. So I could have just got in line behind the car in the left lane. But I decided, no, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to beat this car. I'm not sure why. I don't know if it was like an ego thing. I'm not sure if it was like a man thing, a male thing. I don't know. But nevertheless, this is what I chose to do. And I'm in my truck and I take off. And I don't take off like really fast because I wasn't anticipating the car beside me taking off as well. Because again, not a very proud moment, but when I looked to my left, 
I realized that she probably wasn't going to want to take off as fast as I was going to want to take off. And so I judged her and you see where this is going, right? And I know right now I probably lost like all of the women, but I take off. And so I just kind of put a little bit of gas on the pedal, but this individual puts the pedal to the metal and she decides she wants to race. And so I decided that I was going to race as well. So I just put my pedal to the metal and, and I just kind of slowly eke ahead of this, of this, this car. And, and I knew that the car couldn't go that fast, but also my truck isn't really that fast, but I, I just, I got far enough ahead. I didn't have to cut in front of them. I, I honestly, I did not cut them off. I really didn't. But about a mile up the road, we got to another stoplight. And at this point she was turning left. So she's in the left lane now and I'm in the lane going straight. And when she gets up beside me, she's not real happy with me. She's yelling at me. Of course the window's up, light turns green. She takes off, I take off. And we never really exchanged words, but in my head I began thinking to myself, well lady, if you just wouldn't have wanted to race me and you didn't get into like this drag race mode, we would have never had this issue to begin with. And maybe about a half a mile down the road, like. I'm not sure if it was my wife's voice in my head or the Holy Spirit's voice in my head because they both sound really familiar in my life. But, but one of them was talking to me and it dawned on me that, no, Jordan, like this was your fault, dude. Like you could have just got in line like a normal, you know, good citizen of our county and just, you know, gone about your day without angering this woman by wanting to drag race. Like, okay, well, that's an exaggeration. But nevertheless, it was really my, it was my responsibility. The blame game is easy, isn't it? A pastor down in Atlanta, Georgia, Andy Stanley, he, he says that when there's someone to blame, there's nothing to work on. Come on, that's like, that's something right there. Like we could hang up shop and if we got a hold of that, we would probably just make the world a slightly better place. When there's something or someone to blame, we have nothing personally then that we, could, that we can work on. Have you ever noticed that most disasters, especially in the ancient world, but even in modern time today, by disasters, I'm referring to like hurricanes, tsunamis, like all of those just natural disasters all across the world. Maybe not even natural disasters, but really just some of the disasters that we see take place in our own country as it relates to the injustice with racism or just the discrepancy or disparity rather between the rich and the poor. And just, you know, a lot of disasters really, we, we tend to associate with angry gods or in our modern world with like an angry God, like singular God, something bad has happened. Well, it must be because God's mad at us or the very least, it must be because God or the gods have it in for you. You know, some people think as it relates to the global pandemic and just all of the disasters that have happened in the last 12 months, not even just in the last 12 months, but really just over the course of our entire lifetimes that, that they know exactly what has gone wrong. They know exactly why it's gone wrong and what God is trying to say through it all. And in a lot of ways, some of these have led us to some conspiracy theories of sorts. And maybe some of those theories are, are right. And I guess most of them would have to be wrong. But nevertheless, that's besides the point. It's, it's, it's the fact that generally speaking, we, we all tend to, tend to kind of lean into this propensity to answer the question, why? Like, why is this happening? What is God trying to teach us? What is he trying to say? In fact, I recently read that the end times industry, like, like, you know, like Armageddon, like the end times industry in America, there are more books sold in regards to the end times in America than the rest of the world combined. Like we as Americans lean into this kind of escapist mentality or this escapist desire, this platonic 
attitude that we have towards disasters that take place in our world. But what's interesting is that Jesus doesn't, he doesn't instruct us, he never did instruct us to escape the world and then just kind of rush into heaven. He actually teaches us something very different. We've talked about this over the last few weeks and really over the last few months, but he teaches us to establish heaven on earth. It's called the establishment of, of his kingdom. Let's take it a step further. In 2005, when Hurricane Katrina hit New Orleans, or New Orleans, New Orleans, I don't, I'm not actually sure how to say it, but it just dawned on me. I was like, I don't think I really know how to properly say or enunciate that city. But again, besides the point, um, it, it, when, when, when the hurricane hit, I remember that was the, one of the first disasters that I can remember, that I can recall, where it felt like nationally, Christians specifically, were really kind of pointing the finger like, okay, is this a result of sin? It must be. Because the city and the crudeness and the sin that's rampant, yep, that's why. That's why Katrina hit. That's why the levees burst. It's a result of sin. And in some ways, we've heard those same sentiments over the last, really, more specifically, over the last 12 months. Whether it's in relationship to COVID-19, all the wildfires, um, just all of the different things that have taken place uh, throughout 2020 and really even 2021. Even, even, even some of which would relate to just some of what's happened within than politics. But, but let me encourage you with this, church. Let me just kind of give you a pastoral word here for a moment. When anybody tells you that a disaster means that God is calling people, perhaps you, to repent, tell them to read Psalm 88. Tell them to read Psalm 44, Psalm 73. You can read these on your own time. Better yet, tell them to read the book of Job, where the whole point throughout the book of Job is that that's not the point. That the point is not that this is a result of, of sin. In fact, God declares at the end of of Job in Job 42.8, that Job has told the truth this entire time, that Job clung to the fact that God is just, and that the suffering that he's experiencing, the misery that he's going through, is not a result of anything that Job has done or hadn't done. And Jesus not only drew on this story, but in a lot of ways, Jesus lived this story out. Hang with me here for a moment. In John chapter 9, Jesus' disciples, his, his followers, ask the standard question, not much different from the question that many people ask today when bad things happen. The question is, who sinned? So in John chapter 9, verse 1, it says, As he went along, he, meaning Jesus, saw a blind man from birth, and his disciples asked, Rabbi, which we spoke about what that even means last week, Rabbi or teacher, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus like, neither. Not the man, nor his parents. He said, this happened, though, that the works of God might be displayed in him. Lean into that for a moment. That the works of God might be displayed in him. What's interesting is that Jesus doesn't look back to a hypothetical cause. He, he actually looks forward to see what is God going to do about it. He doesn't look back. He looks forward to the work that God is going to do in him. Translated, what Jesus is going to do in him. So he heals the man because for Jesus, when he arrives on the scene, which was a little bit different from the Old Testament, which sometimes that's where a lot of our scripture comes from as it relates to what's happening in the world, to all of these disasters, what's God saying? We generally quote things in the Old Testament. But when Jesus shows up in the New Covenant, in the New Testament, he begins to introduce a whole new way of living and a whole new attitude and perspective on life. He says, this is the now time. This is the time for now, for the present, not for speculating about previous sin. In fact, in Matthew 24, verse 6, Jesus says, You're going to hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. 
Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Did you catch that? Because a lot of times we hear that Matthew 24. In fact, I can't tell you how many times I've heard preachers talk about this over the last 12 months or so that, that hey, there's wars, there's rumors of wars, there's earthquakes, there's rumors of earthquake, there's this pandemic, the end is coming. And look, maybe, maybe it is. I, I don't know. I can't answer that question. Some of you right now might be thinking, no, Jordan, it is. Like, I'm convinced of it. And, and maybe it is. And that's, that's okay. I'm not, I'm not arguing with you. I'm genuinely not. But, but what I'm proposing is that I think there's a better question for us to ask because conspiracies were really thriving in the first century when Jesus is quoted in Matthew 24, just as they are today. But Jesus kind of pushes them aside. Not to say that they're all wrong or they're all incorrect. That's not that's not even my point here, but what Jesus does, he says, hey guys, stay calm. Just trust in me. And I think it's unfortunate that part of Matthew 24 is often overlooked, doesn't really get noticed. Because as Jesus followers, here's my point. If we're waiting for a special event or some natural disaster to nudge us into looking for Jesus' kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, or to tell us or others to repent when we're drifting into some careless sin, or to remind us that life is short and therefore we need to live on mission to tell our neighbors who Jesus really is, listen, that's what we're waiting for, then we, then we have gone to sleep on the job. Like it should not, should not take some disaster to be reminded of these truths. In one sense, learning to follow Jesus is simply learning to just kind of pray the Lord's prayer on a regular basis. Lord, may your kingdom come, may your will be done today, just as it is in heaven, and then forgive me of all of my sin and my trespasses, the error of my, of my way. In fact, if we do that, if we pray the Lord's Prayer daily and we begin to implement into our lives, we'll be delivered from kind of this false explanation that imagine the kingdom will come with sudden signs, with disasters or a pandemic, despite the fact that Jesus said it wouldn't. Or that we would maybe lean into some new event that would begin to cause us to question like, okay, maybe now the end is coming and what is God trying to teach us? And after that time, then Jesus will call us to some global repentance. But the reality is the fact is that Jesus saw his own death and resurrection as the once and for all moment, the once and for all calling to repent and to begin to establish God's kingdom on earth. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, it says that in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, by Jesus. In other words, the New Testament insists that we put Jesus at the center of the picture. And the minute that we find ourselves looking at the world around us and jumping to conclusions about God and what He might be doing without carefully looking at Jesus, and what Jesus has done, we are in danger of forcing an interpretation that may look attractive, may even sound spiritual, but it excludes Jesus. And Jesus himself is the reason why people should turn from idolatry and injustice and wickedness. Listen to me, all the world's sufferings and horrors have been dealt with on the cross in the resurrection of Jesus. N.T. Wright says it best when he He's quoted as saying that the resurrection is the launch of God's new creation, of his sovereign saving rule on earth, starting with the physical body of Jesus himself. Those events are now the summons to repent and the clue to what God is doing in the world. Trying to jump from an earthquake, a tsunami, a pandemic, or anything else to a conclusion about what God is saying here without going through the gospel story is to make the basic theological mistake of trying to deduce something about God 
while going behind Jesus' back. That, that's beautiful. If you didn't catch that, like, in essence, he's saying, look, if we're going to jump to a conclusion about what God is saying here, without first looking at what Jesus has said and has done, we are, we are reducing our argument about God or reducing our explanation about God to just what we think because we're removing God entirely by removing Jesus from the situation. See, in our postmodern world, Christians feel this unnecessary propensity to play God. And I feel this need in my own life. And we do it by going behind Jesus' back, so to speak. Let me best give an illustration like this. Atheists, for the most part, one of the, one of the general conclusions or arguments that you hear is that they'll say Christianity doesn't make sense. And mainly their point at the problem with evil within our, within our world. And so Christians feel the need to make sense of everything. I, I do too. And so we're, we feel like if we don't make sense of it, if we, if we can't explain why there's evil, then, then we're not doing our job. And so we go on this journey, this quest, so to speak, to answer the question of why. Like, why is this happening? And we, we've done this even as it relates to the global pandemic. And in fact, in fact, unfortunately, I, I, I read this article recently that the greatest population of those who lean into QAnon are Christians. And, and, and again, I'll just kind of leave that wherever it may rest. But I think that's unfortunate that oftentimes we generally lean into what some organization is saying rather than to what Jesus is asking us to do. What he's asking us to do. Because I think the question that we're called to answer as Jesus follows in a time of peril or pain or disaster is not why, but I think it's what. What should we do? And, and really, everything that I just said is in an effort to kind of culminate and climax right here in Acts chapter 11, verse 27. This is after the resurrection of Jesus. We begin to see the Jesus followers, we begin to see Christians, really lean into the establishment of God's kingdom. What does that look like? And it says in verse 27 that during this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, which is about 300 miles apart. And one of them named Agabus stood up and through the spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. And there's so much more I'd love to have time to say about verse 20, 27, verse 28 there. But generally what's most important to understand right here is that this was happening sometime around, sometime around um, 41 AD to 54 AD. That was the reign of Claudius. In fact, you can actually study history, not just church history, you can just study secular history and begin to discover that within the Roman province in the Roman Empire here during the reign of Claudius from 41 to 54 AD, there were several famines that took place. In fact, most historians actually blame Rome and its government, its empirical empire, for these famines. They didn't distribute food well. They didn't steward the food well. And so, but, but, but here's the point. It's important to know that, but here's the point. In verse 29, that it says the disciples, the Jesus followers, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. And so what, what do the Antioch Jesus followers say? Better yet, let, let's answer this. What don't they say? Here's what they don't say. This must be a sign that the Lord is coming back soon. There's this great famine. Must be a sign. God's coming back soon. This must mean that we have sinned and need to repent. This, this will give us a great opportunity to tell the wider world that everyone has sinned and needs to repent. And, and they also don't start playing the blame game. They don't start looking at the Roman Empire, the civil authorities, and begin to say, it's actually their fault. 
when in reality it actually was their fault. That's not what they do. They ask three simple questions. First one is, who's going to be at risk? Second one is, what can we do to help? And the third one is, who should we send? So in response to this disaster, this famine, where thousands, hundreds of thousands of people at that time, about 600,000 people were living in Antioch, and Jerusalem, which was really a monocultural city, and Antioch was a multicultural city, but these, this multicultural city looked at and said, that, that city is so different than us, yet as disciples, as Jesus followers, we're going to lean in and say, who's going to be at risk? How can, we, how can we help and who should we send? Now, some, some people might say that's pretty untheological, like it's just too pragmatic to think in that realm as it relates to disasters in our world today. But, but I would argue pretty strongly and pretty confidently that that response would be very un, untheological. In fact, one of the greatest principles of the kingdom of God, which was really introduced when Jesus came on the scene, is all about restoring the creation the way that it was meant to be. And here's the big point, that God always wanted to work in this world through loyal human beings. That was God's design from Genesis 1 until today. And so when Jesus shows up, he literally is beginning to establish his kingdom as it was meant to be in Genesis 1, 2, and 3 through Jesus. And when Jesus resurrected, he sends his spirit to dwell in us, to empower us to do the same thing that he did. So just as when in John 9, Jesus says that the works of God are going to be revealed and then actually goes to work himself, the Antioch church perfectly figures out what God is doing, not why the famine was occurring, they say, what can we do to help? Realizing that what God was doing, he was going to do through them. That's my encouragement to us, is that everything that God wants to do, he wants to do through you. He wants to do through us. He wants to do through, through his church, through Jesus' followers. That's, that's his goal. That's his plan. That's his, that's his mission. And often when people look out in the world and its disasters and they wonder why God doesn't just march in and take over, why does he permit it? Why doesn't he just send a thunderbolt and kind of put things right? Like, you know, we have this image of like the old Greek gods just kind of like making it all right. But the reality is that God does send a thunderbolt. As corny as it may sound, even as I said it in my head, but that thunderbolt is you. It's me. It's his, it's his followers. It's, it's human thunderbolts, so to speak. Because Jesus' followers, humble, prayerfully, faithfully, they, they will be the answer not to the question of, of why, but to the question of what. What needs to be done here? Who is most at risk? How can we help? Who should we send? You know, back in June, we, we started the, the grocery giveaway, our food pantry, and it's just continued to grow. And now we're partnering with Mid-Ohio Food Bank and Olentangy Schools in order to provide more meals and more groceries to more families. And just a couple weeks ago, we surpassed the 10,000 meal mark. And so proud of our team, and I'm so proud of all of you, and I'm so proud of the generosity of our church, of our community, to continue to lean in and say, hey, this is the way that we can help. There's a food, a food insecurity within our own neighborhoods, within our own district. Let's do something about it. Let's make a difference. Not say, well, why is there food insecurity? You know, who's, who, who didn't work hard enough to get a job? Who didn't work hard enough to provide food on the tables? No, that's not the, that's not the, Jesus, that's not the Jesus way. He says, okay, well, what can I do about it? 
You know, I have to check my heart often when I pass somebody on the street who is asking for money, asking for clothes, asking for food. Because instantly, the way in which we generally think, which is really the world's way of thinking is, well, they probably got into that situation on their own. But that's not Jesus' way of thinking. Okay, how, how can I help? Who can I send? What can I, what can I do? We, we were trying to lean in the best that we could to some of the racial injustice and, that was taking place not only in our country and the world, but really even in our own city. And one of the things that we realized is we were saying, how can we help? Is we said, okay, we need, to, we, need to, we need to participate in this undivided racial solidarity class that we just kicked off this past Wednesday night. And, and, and I believe we have 27 participants, participants in it in this six-week journey of really discovering the history of and, and how to participate in bringing about reconciliation and solidarity as it relates to, to races in our own city. At the end of the six weeks, racism is not going to be solved in our city, but, but it is a step in the right direction. And as Jesus followers, we're leaning in and saying, what can we do? How can we help? Who can we send? And I think that's the goal. Like God works in all things with and through those who, who love him. That's what God does. We're going to talk more about that in greater detail next week. But the early church, I believe, was God really energizing them through his personal presence and I want to say it like this, that the Spirit of God was given, the Holy Spirit was given in Acts chapter 2 so that individual Jesus followers, and even more so when Jesus followers joined together, that they would take up their responsibility as God's eyes and ears, His hands and feet to do what needs to be done in the world to establish His kingdom. And historically, Christianity has always been at its best when the world is at its worst. And as a result, I really believe that our greatest days are yet to come. And that when we see things going in a direction that maybe just doesn't make us feel very excited, we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt, well, hey, great, this is an opportunity for us to partner with Jesus together with our community to make a difference in our world. So I want to conclude with really the most practical way that I know to conclude with just two simple points that, that when bad things happen, whether they be big things or small things on a global scale or just on a local scale, maybe even just in our own neighborhoods, I think there's two things we ought to do. Number one is have a listening ear. And number two is have a broken heart. And I almost said to have a compassionate heart when I was originally writing this down, but, but I thought, no, I think a broken heart best describes the heart of God in situations that just aren't according to His will aren't the way that he would desire for them to be. But we got to have a listening ear, like what's, what's happening? What's happening on our campuses? What's happening at our workplace? What's happening in our neighborhoods? What's happening in our home, with our children, with our parents, with our loved ones? What's, what's happening on our campuses, in our high schools, our junior highs, our universities? But then secondly, allow those things to actually break our heart. Allow God, through his spirit, to give you an empathy and a compassion to not just be aware of them, not just people to talk to your friends about them, to not even only just to pray about them. And there are things that that's all that we can do is simply pray about them. And I'm not diminishing nor belittling the opportunity that we have to pray about all things at all time. But what I am saying is that when there is an opportunity to make a difference and we can answer the question, how can I help with a practical need? Then we ought to, we absolutely ought to be a part of God's kingdom and be a part of the answer to the prayer of establishing heaven on earth in practical, meaningful ways. And I really believe that on a collective level, as a church, 
That's what we're going to continue to do. And we won't be able to do everything, but that should not paralyze us from doing something. But on an individual level, I would commission you and I would encourage you to do the same thing, to think, what can I do in my own neighborhood? What can I do on my campus, at my workplace, to bring about God's kingdom? Because that's what Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is really all about. The Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, the whole thing isn't just, hey, you got to be more like this. No, the whole thing is saying, hey, no, this is what you do. These are the people that God uses to establish His kingdom on the earth. We'll talk more about that next week as well. But I'm going to leave you with this, that if we're kingdom focused and we have a king that lasts forever, and we do, who sits on a throne that lasts forever, and it does, then transitions of power and politics or masks or no masks or any other thing that might be troubling us that the world might throw our way, those things should not throw us, they should not throw us off. It might bother us or frustrate us, and it, and it should. In fact, I would argue that we should allow those, emotion, those emotions to come up from within us and out of us, but we should still be the calm in the storm, in the room, wherever we wherever we find ourselves. So the three simple questions, who's going to be at risk? What can we do to help? Who should we send? And then when bad things happen, have a listening ear and a broken heart to actually make a difference for the kingdom of God. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for uh, these moments that we have, just to be reminded, not just of why things are happening, but God, rather to lean into what can we do? What can we do? God, maybe the, the, the greater question isn't why, but it's what. Holy Spirit, we invite you to remind us of that truth, not just today, but even just moving forward in the years and the decades to come, so that as, a, as individuals and as a community, we can really partner with you to establish your kingdom here on earth, just as it is in heaven. Hey, if you're listening today and you don't know Jesus, but you want to, you want to place your faith and your trust in Him. We would love to pray with you and to kind of let you know what the next step is in your walk with God. And maybe, maybe you've just kind of had some questions about God in general. And you're like, hey, I just, I'm just not really sure what this whole Jesus thing is all about, but I'd love to know more. I want to encourage you to text the word ethos yes to the number 94000. We're going to follow up with you within the next 24 to 48 hours. We're going to get a hold of you and and just answer any questions you might have. Grab coffee with you if you're interested or, or just have a conversation on the phone. But we would love to partner with you and, and to kind of let you know what it looks like to follow Jesus and place your faith and your trust in God. Well, hey, church, listen, as I mentioned a few moments ago, um, we had just passed 10,000 meals as a, as a community that we were able to give away through our grocery give. And again, I just want to say thank you to all of you who continue to give so generously. And as we conclude, we always like to practice generosity. Uh, at some point while we're gathered together, even if we're scattered virtually all over the place. And there's three ways that you're able to give and practice generosity here at Ethos. And again, if you're newer to Ethos, we say this every single week, but do not feel obligated to give. This is for those of us who say, no, I really do want to continue to see the mission of God move forward faster. And so I want to participate and I want to, I want to give. And so you can give online, you can text to give, or, or you can uh, simply mail your, uh, a check 
to the address there on the screen. All those options are on the screen right there. Also, parents want to make you aware, grandparents, that we do uh, host Ethos Youth. This is for junior high and high school students the first three Tuesdays of every month. So this coming Tuesday, we will not be gathering, but we would love for your students to get involved. I love what God is doing through our youth. I'm so proud of our youth leaders. Massive shout out to them for just continuing to maintain connection building relationships and helping young people go further in their faith and who Jesus is. And if, you, if you'd like more information about that, you just like some reminders about what's happening in Ethos Youth, you can go ahead and text the word Ethos Youth to the number 81010 and, uh, and you'll get all of our reminders through our Remind app that way as well. And then lastly, if we can serve you in any way, do not hesitate to ask. We say this around here frequently that we're better together. That's why we're in this together. We genuinely believe that together, kind of locking arms, we're just better. So we want to be in this together, no matter what you may or may not be going through. If we can serve you in any way, let us know. Text Ethos Care to 94,940,000. Fill out that form. And again, we'll get in touch with you and serve you in any way that we're, that we're able. We love you so much, church. Uh, we'll see you all soon.